Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. We talk about that a lot, but I think the key component to getting these right is um, choosing the right people, you know, and that needs to be based on, firstly, what the deal needs. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're back with Matt Jones, successful property developer specializing in joint ventures or JVs. Come along with us as we chat about how to build JVs, how he manages JVs in Australia remotely from France, the components necessary for JVs to work, what it takes for JVs to be successful and much, much more. First off, Jones tells us a bit about what it's been like so far living for an extended period in France and how he managed his joint ventures while so far away from Australia. We had a few years over there as a sort of a, I don't know, early retirement, extended holiday, whatever you want to call it, um, to have an experience with the family which was which was amazing. It's become a second home for us over there. Um, so we hope to eventually get back there again. But uh, yeah, we're back now. The kids are getting older so they're in school so we've sort of settled in a little bit here on the Sunshine Coast the last year or so and getting our feet back on the ground which has been cool and yeah just continued on from I mean the the way we got to France was exploring joint ventures so I had to restructure everything I did with with property because I couldn't be on site obviously when I was overseas so we kind of spun everything in a 180 direction where we became uh, money partners with colleagues that we'd met over the years particularly through our, our property networking group in Brisbane and um, so that allowed us to go and travel and live in France and have a passive income um, coming from those relationships that we built up. And then we came back and, you know, that was working really well. So we just kept doing it. <laughs> so we didn't really get into um, projects of ourselves for ourselves straight away. We just continued investing with other people. Uh, and then I, I started teaching others how to do it, you know, once we got back because I just found it to be the missing link for you know, anyone really that's missing a component or one of the key or the four key components that I talk about a lot that that people might be missing and joint venturing kind of plugs those gaps and I was really all about just taking away the fear that people have around JVs and just bringing back the the knowledge, you know, so people could sort of take that leap of faith into that strategy. So yeah, I've been doing a lot of that and got back into the property group meetings that we started, you know, 12, 13 years ago now um, that were sort of running while I was away. And I'd sort of tap in via Skype regularly with those meetings. And then I came back and it was good to really reconnect and get back into, you know, what I love and just being around people, building communities, working in property investing, obviously, having chats to people like you and uh, just getting the, the whole momentum rolling again. Jones brings us back to where it all started, how working in the property world starts to feel like a regular job 
which led to a decision to travel somewhere new. It all started when we we uh, had uh, kids. We got two. We got an older son and another son and a younger daughter, and they started growing up. Right, so I was out there doing deals, doing subdivisions, renos on site, and I just found like it was turning into a job. That was what I was trying to get away from. You know, when I was a postie, the nine to five grind. You know, property was about creating passive income, and, and I was finding I was just working harder. So yeah, we decided to just take off, go to France and experience another culture, learn the language, put the kids in school and just do something really different. So the way we did it, I mean, we sold everything before we left, you know, cars and put everything in storage and just literally packed our lives up, got on the plane and lived there. So we were there for about two years, living in a, a small town called Azé le Rideau, which is right in the centre of France, just a small township there, um, little, little community of about 3,000 people became the crazy Aussies in this little French town trying to live that French culture, which which we did. You know, we've, we've made some amazing friends there. And I guess the way we did that was not doing active deals here. So before I was specialising in subdivision, so I'd be out there finding the deals, talking to agents, managing the projects, um, that sort of thing, which was what I loved to do. Uh, but over there, obviously, you can't sort of have that connection with the agents and being on site. I just find it's too difficult to continue that rapport. For Jones, the time difference worked to his advantage. He also tells us how he managed to find his lifestyle overseas with his family. That's what really worked actually, the time zones because you're over there and you know, I'd get up at, turn on the computer at say 9 o'clock and it was 5 o'clock here, 9 o'clock in the morning which is 5 p.m. here. So I, most of the problems that had arisen had been solved by then and I was usually just tapping in and making sure everything was running okay. Yeah, what I was able to do is build on the relationships I'd already had with people doing deals and actually help fund those deals. So it might be through um, serviceability or providing cash that provides a set return for that money and then we could actually live off that passive income. We had a buffer that we took with us. So we thought, well, if this doesn't work out, you know, let's just put some money aside so that we can have this experience together. Um, But in the end, you know, we came back with that buffer and more really. Um, so it wasn't required, which is great. And yeah, it just came down to having those, those trusted relationships with people, you know, where they needed uh, funding in some way that we were able to provide. And that just sort of set up a, a stream of income or a, or a money tree, if you want to call it like that, just something that sustained us um, to have the life we wanted over there. And, and I'm not talking about an extravagant holiday with Ferraris and yachts and things like that. We were just living a normal life in France, which is quite inexpensive. And so we were able to live that life and bring the funds into France from Australia. So I just make a transfer each month and, and we'd live off that. It allowed us to go and explore other parts of Europe while we were there. And But really, it was just about having a normal life in a different country um, where we could you know, learn that language, learn that culture and give the kids that experience and really see it through their eyes and just be normal, you know. So we went rushing around looking at Eiffel Towers and... We did little trips in the school holidays, but the rest of the time we just sort of get up, have a normal life, go to the, the bakery and have a baguette and um, meet up with friends and, you know, it was just a, an easy sort of cruisy sort of lifestyle. It took a while for Jones and his family to plan this trip to France and once they got there, he enjoyed the lifestyle but still managed to get work done. I think we took about a year to plan it because I really had to restructure everything I did, you know. So once we bought those tickets and committed and that was a big part of it, actually making the decision that it was going to happen and buying the tickets and and locking in the dates, everything I did meant that, okay, how do I do this in France? You know, so, you know, running the property group meetings and, 
you know, we've got our online business, you know, where we have a whole community there that we work with. How was I going to run that over from there? And so I really had to systemize everything, bring in some extra people to help me do that. Once we decided to do it, that all really just fell into place. It wasn't difficult. It just meant a different way of thinking. Um, but knowing that it was happening, it just kind of forced you to change how you look at life and, and what was important, what wasn't important, and leveraging off other people, you know, bringing those in that you needed rather than just grinding away at the day-to-day and doing it yourself and, and growing it. We just kind of just flipped it on its head and that really helped us to sort of get on the plane and go. And with the technology that we have now, you know, I could still stay in touch. It was just in a very different way. And that time zone, like I said before, really shook things up a bit so that you had to be um, – you're sort of cramming your day into one hour, you know, in the morning. And then once that was done, it was so freeing because I knew that everyone finished work and had gone to bed, but yet I had the whole day to explore, you know, the region that we're in, which is which is what we did. So I just did a little bit of tapping in in the morning. I did – I got a bit creative over there as well. I was got into blogging and I wrote another um, resource, my, my JV um, DIY kit because, you know, I, I like to – do stuff you know I didn't want to just sit there drinking cocktails on the beach or anything I like to be active and having fun and connecting still Um, so I continued to keep that up but yeah you really had that limitless approach where you know there was no no time frame to come back like we decided to go for a year which turned into two years and it could have easily turned into five years so there was no sort of oh we got to be back by this date There was no pressure for him to get things done in time to leave and at first, the lack of technology in the town of France they lived in was something they struggled with. We've got to get this done before we leave. You know, it was all just in the flow, you know, in the pace that they were in, which was very different to Australia, very, a lot slower pace. They're kind of, I see it as like 30 years behind really, the technology and they do things, which was frustrating in the beginning um, because they, you know, they still use checkbooks over there to buy their groceries, that sort of stuff. You know, you sign up online, you opt in to a newsletter or something, you do that in France and you wouldn't get a reply but you get a letter in the mail saying you've successfully <laughs> joined this newsletter, you know. It was just like really slow sort of technology. But after six months, we were like, because we were frustrated in the beginning because we couldn't get stuff done quick enough. And then after that, we thought, oh, hang on a minute, these guys have actually got it right. You know, that, that stuff isn't really that important. They're more about the finer things, you know, conversations and good food and, you know, everything happens in its own time frame. You're working with the seasons more while you're there and, oh, it's just a whole other ball game, you know. And actually when we came back, it was like hitting the ground running really fast because we're just so much quicker over here and doing things, which is great because it's efficient and we're entrepreneurial and everything, but there it's like, no, 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 just slow it down. You know, let's let's have a three-hour lunch and get a bottle of wine and talk about what's going on in the world and, put our smartphones away and yeah, it was just a real eye-opener which was a posit- real positive experience for us. As a result, Jones has realised firsthand the rejuvenating effects of being disconnected from technology. You just got to take back the control. I mean, we tried to take that, some of those components back with us to Australia, what we'd learnt there and try and find that happy medium because um, we did miss the pace a little bit and I like being around people who are doing stuff and getting excited about things so it was just bringing that balance back. But yeah, you do have to get off the grid, I think, um, oh, we just came back from Heron Island. We had a week over there, just got back last night. There's no Wi-Fi there. So we're on this magical island with marine life and bird life and just time together. And I, I noticed the first day I was there, I was really like, I was reaching for my phone. I, you know, that addiction was still there. 
and it took a day to actually release that and then not pick up the phone, not look for the phone, not switch on the laptop because there was no Wi-Fi anyway, so I couldn't do anything. And that's what we wanted. We just wanted to switch off and and not be on the grid for a little while and just totally refreshes you. You know, I'm back now and I feel great. You know, I can feel like I'm typing faster, you know, when I open the laptop because you just had that rejuvenation. It's just so important. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into how Matt Jones formed successful joint ventures. I built a network of people around me already and friends and colleagues that had funds or had good jobs they didn't know how to leverage off. Some case studies of people who have used his principles for joint ventures successfully. So a couple of people that I've interviewed lately, uh, Henry Lettingham and Mick Martin. So they were at different events, the same event but at different times. How to find the right personalities to make joint ventures work. And then understanding their personality is really important. So we do a bit of work with that actually I bring Jill McIntyre who you know quite well I think Tyrone um, to who's coached me for many many years and that's next I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory Jones informs us of the four key components necessary for joint ventures and takes us back to the start to when he was working as a postman and getting interested in JVs. It's really working out what you can bring to the table first and then you know what you're missing. So I, I talk about the four key components, the ability to find a profitable deal, the cash in the bank to you know put down a deposit or pay for your reno or subdivision, the serviceability, so the ability to borrow money from the bank and then the skill um, to manage that project to a profitable outcome and that has a time component as well. So it's kind of working out Okay, what do you have of those four things? Usually it's just one or two. Most people have one or two of those things, but you've got to have all four. So you go out and find the other two or three or whatever it is, um, components that are plugging what you're missing. So if you're missing cash, you know, it's not about, okay, you've got to wait five years to save up 100 grand to do a deal. It's about finding others that have that where you can pay them a return and take them on the journey with you um, so that you can get into deals and, you know, I was lucky enough to to be forced into it early when I was a postie, so I was earning 30 grand a year. Um, no banks would look at me. I didn't really have a lot of savings at that time. This is back in 2006, um, 2006, 2007. And so it was either find a way to fund these deals or stay at work. And being a postie, it was really hard work. You know, like I any posties out there listening, I feel for you, I take my hat off to you because it's rain, hail or shine, you're out there delivering mail, dealing with dogs biting your legs and it's a hard job, right? I thought it was going to be fun, which it was for the first week and then it got really hard. But I was forced into finding a way to fund these deals because I was learning how to find them and put the strategies together. So I had to get someone in to make it work and built a network of people around me already and you know, I had friends and colleagues that had funds or had good jobs. They didn't know how to leverage off. Um, so together, we could do deals that you know, neither of us could have done individually, but together we could. And then we share the profits or, you know, there's so many ways of, of splitting it up and making it work depending on what the deal requires. But essentially, yeah, it's just bringing those components together across two people or maybe three people um, to then go forward and do a deal together. He goes on to share with us a case study of individuals who attended his joint venture event and how successful they were at putting together a joint venture afterwards by applying what they had learned. 
there's quite a few of them because we've run an event for the last few years or since I got back and those that come along are just sort of blown away with some of the things I hear them say is, oh, well, I've been doing it all wrong, you know, <laughs> which they haven't been doing it all wrong. They're just on this journey and they're having this realisation of how they can do it from here. So a couple of people that I've interviewed lately, uh, Henry Lettingham and Mick Martin, so they were at different um, events, <clears throat> the same event but at different times. And so we had a, like a forum that mixed the attendees together afterwards. So they hooked up in there and Henry had done a, a one into six subdivision deal which he funded himself and he was wanting to leave his job altogether and do this full time because he you know, built up the skills and the knowledge to actually do these deals. But he'd done one, he was in the middle of one and he didn't have the funding to go and do the next one, but he had deals coming to him. You know, So it was kind of like a waste to see you know, that skill to bring in the deal, um, but then having to let it go because he can't fund it, which I see is the most frustrating thing because I, th- I actually think the money part's the easy part. There's so much lazy equity out there and people that have great jobs that can service loans but they just don't know how to sort of piece it all together so yeah henry had another one into six project he met uh, mick martin they went through my process of you know how to assess the person because I, I think that's a key component to getting jv's right is having the right personalities the right risk profile the understanding of the roles and responsibilities of each person you know, the worst-case scenarios. With this case study, Nick and Henry worked together playing different roles in their partnership to make their joint venture successful. Even right through to managing uh, dispute resolution if there is any so that it's all very clear up front on how this is going to work. So effectively, Nick funded the project while Henry uh, managed it himself and then they had a profit share across that project. So it was going one into six, split it all up, sell the lots, and then share the profit. So between the two of them, they were able to do something together that separately they probably couldn't have done because Mick had a full-time job already that he likes and he could leverage off. Henry wants to get away from his job, but he has all these deals around him. They were a great match. They went through the the process of understanding their their personalities and their strengths and weaknesses, and, and that turned out to be a really good fit. And then they're going on to do to do more deals from there so it's not just a one-off once you get this right you can keep replicating it you know it's it's not reinventing the wheel it's really just finding i mean we have probably half a dozen people around us that can fund projects and if you work well together you just keep repeating the project uh repeat repeating the process and that way it's unlimited you know that's why i say that the cash part isn't that's the easy part once someone has a deal and we understand what's required Um, It's just about plucking the gaps to make it come to a profitable outcome. When it comes to joint ventures, leveraging your income, if you have one, is a wise and necessary thing to do. Just double timing what, I mean, if you're in a job, um, like one colleague of mine, he works in the mines, so he's seven days on, seven days off, works really hard, doesn't have the time or the continuity to go and find deals, but he's out there, he's got a plan, five-year plan to be out of that mining industry um, and leveraging off the properties that he's investing in now. So he's kind of really utilising that high income but small amount of time available to then have a plan to get out altogether Um, and that's what he wants. Whereas others want to keep their job. Some people love their jobs and want to stay in there and keep doing it, which is awesome. But why not leverage it while you're there so that you can have that financial freedom or that choice later on when you want to uh, do something different. Jones informs us of the importance of having the right people involved in a joint venture. With the right skill sets and resources with each individual can bring to the table. 
Well, the first thing was they had a commonality between in doing the the event that I ran. Um, so they they'd been through the course structure and they knew which steps to take. And you know, I'll touch on some of those steps um, because I mean the JV side of it, you know, putting the documentation together and um, having it ratified by a solicitor and all that sort of stuff. That's really important. Um, and, and we talk about that a lot, but I think the key component to getting these right is choosing the right people, you know, and that needs to be based on firstly what the deal needs. Cause I see people kind of hooking up together cause they're friends and they're just in the game together and they're getting along and they feel like they should just do a, a deal together. But if they haven't got complementary resources, so if they've both got good serviceability and, and good cash in the bank, but they don't have the ability or the networks to find the deals, then it's, it's not going to work. You know? So it's got to always start with the deal stacking up. Um, so someone's got to bring that to the table. There's a lot of great deals floating around at the moment. It's just sort of being around others that are doing it. And that's what this boot camp is about. We kind of bring the deals and the money together in the same room. So I make sure that there's a good mix of that. So there's, there's people that have projects on the go at the moment or they're, they're coming online, they're in the pipeline, and then there's others with cash and serviceability that want to potentially invest in one of those projects. So we use that as like a case study throughout the weekend, but it's also an opportunity for people to go and invest in those projects if they want to. But the process is going through, firstly, where to find joint ventures. He then tells us ways to find people with whom we can create joint ventures with, sometimes even in our everyday lives. So if you're not at that event, how, how do I find people? So people that are in your work, you know, your work colleagues, uh, potentially family and friends, although I always say be a little bit careful there because you don't want to be losing any relationships around this. There's your consultants, you know, your accountant, solicitor sometimes because they're seeing what you're doing, they want to be a part of it and they've usually got good incomes but no time. Uh, networking groups like the one we run in Brisbane, um, mentorships, those sorts of things where you get around people that are keen to, to move forward with that sort of thing. And then understanding their personality is really important. So we do a bit of work with that. Actually, I bring Jill McIntyre, who you know quite well, I think Tyrone, who's coached me for many, many years. Jones tells us what is needed for joint ventures to be successful. I actually bring her in to make sure she runs that part of the session because she's the guru at that side of things. And we have a bit of fun with it too. You know, people get to do a personality profile and we understand strengths and weaknesses and how people sort of connect and communicate. And so by doing that, we see who's in the room, what sort of risk profile they have, how do they deal with stressful situations, how methodical are they, and sort of pigeonholing people a little bit to so, so that we know where they come from from a personality point of view because you need to be able to communicate to people differently. And the key to making a JV work is having that communication. So you want to you want to be able to, when, when you get a, a curveball thrown at you at a deal, and that happens at every deal, you want to be able to sit down and talk about, okay, what do we do here? How do we solve this? What do we talk about in the beginning um, so that we can bring that plan into action rather than have to go down a situation where there is no communication or people don't understand what is expected of them. And from there, you know, blame comes in, resentment, and eventually dispute. And so we want to avoid all of that. Um, we put things in place just in case it does happen, but the way to, to avoid it is for it to not happen at all. So you just put things in place in the start, like the personality profiling, like my screen method, making sure that people are um, clear 
on how this person reacts in different situations and how they communicate. He then tells us how it's a matter of covering possible eventualities so that the parties involved in a joint venture are prepared. And then it's about bringing those complementary resources together. So, okay, you've got cash, I've got a deal. Will this work? Let's nut out the roles and responsibilities that we would see each other doing. Let's nut out the profit share arrangement. Let's talk about the worst case scenarios, things like you know, what happens if you get hit by a bus tomorrow, God forbid. What happens if there's a divorce that happens here? What if we have a GFC again? You know, all these what ifs, putting them on the table while it's really easy to talk about and getting clear on what you would do in those scenarios. So if they do come to the fore, you can go back to the discussions you've had and go, okay, well, we said this could happen. So, and this is what we decided to do. Let's revisit that now rather than, oh my God, yeah, this has happened. And now we've got to deal with not only the stress of the deal going pear-shaped, but the emotions around whatever's happened in the circumstance that's, that's affecting the deal. Um, so you get all that on the table early, getting clear on what that is. And then from there, it's really about documenting it properly you know, setting up the right security, the money that's involved, if that's the scenario that's happening, and then just getting clear on whatever I needs to do throughout the process, which may be nothing for a money partner. You know, they just put their money in and they get secured by the deal and they sit there and wait till the deal's done. You know, so everyone's got their different roles. Um, and it's just having them set up in the beginning and then having good people around you, you know, while as the deal happens, you know, the right, having a good accountants, you know, your, your finance broker, your solicitor, mentor, if there needs to be one. Yeah, just having a good team around you is just critical to making all this sort of come together. Finding the perfect joint venture partners doesn't have to happen in a very short period of time. We've got three days together in the perfect environment to do that. But it's not about forcing anything, you know, and making stuff happen. It might take people three, six, 12 months. It depends on how much effort they want to put into it. Um, so we create the environment for it to happen and I do that by hand-picking people that are in the room so I know who's there, who's got cash, who's got serviceability, who's got deals to ensure that we have the best opportunity to make that happen. But if it doesn't, you know, we have a, a forum that we keep running so that I can keep people accountable and, you know, maybe there's people that aren't quite ready to do something. You know, they're waiting for a, an inheritance or something to come in in six months. But in that time, they're building those relationships and accessing those deals so that when they have that cash ready to go, they've already got potential deals and partners lined up ready and waiting. So, yeah, it doesn't have to happen right there and then. But um, you walk away with the knowledge to be able to do it, you know, anytime you want um, when you're ready. You know, obviously, it's better when it happens at the event or soon after because it's fresh and you've got those those really good relationships in place but there's no pressure to make that happen um, because yeah, it does need to gel but really the last four times we've done it the room has been just phenomenal you know the bonds that are made because you know we spend three days together breakfast lunch and dinner pretty much and everyone's great friends at the end and people have come from all over the country and uh, there hasn't been a, an event yet where people haven't sort of created some really strong bonds both as in friendships but also in um, in property deals and, and joint ventures and, and so forth. Jones lets us know what percentage of people who go to his events end up forming joint ventures and getting deals. It's probably about um, 30 to 50% that just go out and do it straight away that actually get their deals funded on the spot even because we have like a, um, I'll call it like a shark tank presentation, you know, where four or five people actually get up across the weekend and present their projects. And we we use that as an educational 
um, session as well where we can critique those people because I show everyone you know, how to pitch your deal to a potential money partner, whether it's in a group environment or one-on-one and what templates you use so they can learn how to do that. But then someone actually gets up and does it. So we actually get to see it in action. And it's a real a real case study, real deal where they need, they need funding for it. Um, so we get to see that, critique it. And then there's people that actually go ahead and, and be a part of that deal straight after that weekend, um, which is awesome to see. That's an ultimate outcome um, because people just move forward straight away with it. And then there's others, probably the other 50%, usually just not ready as far as finance goes, where they need to restructure something or, um, you know, they're missing someone on their team, you know, like a an accountant or a mortgage broker or solicitor, and they're just kind of putting the, the building blocks in place that they've learnt over the weekend to then go forward with it. So I don't know the exact numbers from that last 50% on those because they're still sort of happening. They're still out there. They're still coming to the, the networking groups. They're still on the forum. He tells us about an individual who has been particularly successful. So it's, it's kind of ongoing. You know, it's something that I see a life um, skill where it's not just about reading a book and then you have that knowledge and you do nothing with it. You take it with you because it's been an experience that you've had um, and you take it forward and you build on it yourself. We've even had people coming back you know, a second time around to tap into that network again, even though they've got the knowledge, although it's great to have the knowledge impressed upon you again. But they're coming back for the network, you know, the people that are in that room to work on. I had a call from another guy. He's gone on and found, I think he's up to his third JV deal now since this was a year ago. So in a year, he's put together three JV deals where he's finding the deals and getting other people to fund them. And he wants to come back to the next one because he, he realizes the leverage that he had from the people in that room to effectively fund those projects. So at the time, he had no deals. And then he went out found some deals in that period and now he's got three on the go and he's looking to do more. So like anything, it's you get out what you put into it, part-time effort, part-time result. Not that that's a bad thing. It's just understanding the expectations of, okay, how much effort do you put into it? That's pretty much what the return you're going to get. Even if you are inexperienced and just have cash, you can still get involved. It's a good way to get started too. Like if you haven't done many deals before, you know, you can ride on the coattails of somebody else and be a part of the deal but have not no control, you know, where the other person's running it, you might be funding it or bringing something to the table but you're still, because you're in the deal, it's happening for you whereas if you haven't, you know, done a subdivision before or it's, it's a little bit out of your reach or maybe you just don't have the time, yeah, you can be going through it with somebody else, enjoying the experience, learning to eventually do on yourself potentially down the track but also profiting as well you know, making some money along the way as well as being educated. Jones tells us about how we can attend his joint venture events. It's not something you can just go and buy a ticket for. So it's a very small group that we run. It's very limited. So I only bring along 30 people in the room because any more than that, it's hard to get that rapport across the three days. So I find in the past we've done sort of 22, 24. I've pushed it up to 30 for this time around um, just to fit a few more people in there but still make it manageable. So to get in, you've got to actually book a call with me so that I can see what strengths and weaknesses you have to see if you're a good fit for the event and the event's a good fit for you. If, if I think it is a good fit um, and you're keen to come along, then I'll offer an invitation to do that. We just need to have that conversation first to make sure um, it's just going to fit, you know, because I've got to, kind of got to get the right um, mix of people so there's deals and money in the room otherwise it's a little bit pointless if everyone was in there just with heaps of cash then 
we'd all talk about JVs and go through the education. That'd be all fun, but there'd be no real clear outcome from that. And what I want is for people to actually be able to do deals together. So that's why I just have the phone call. Um, you just book a call with me. I do ask people to put down $100 to book the call because that sort of just filters out some people because I really don't have the time to be on the phone, you know, eight hours a day for the next two weeks. So I like to sort of just filter it out a little bit. So you just put down a hundred bucks, book the call through my booking system. We get on the phones, probably a 20 minute chat, half hour chat. I would sort of see where you're at, what your journey is, what you want to achieve. If you're a good fit, then great, we can make it happen. And I'll give you all the details to the events and dates and what to bring and all that sort of stuff. Um, if not, hopefully um, I can help you in some other way during the call and add some value there and we part as friends. He tells us what his joint venture events involve and how connections are made during them. And I bring that whole journey with me. You know, the people that have been on it, the JV partners that I've worked with, you know, they're presenting as well. So it's not just me. I actually bring some really good experts along to sort of give you the whole picture and how it works. And it's quite, quite fascinating. I, even I get a lot out of it, you know, just some of the presentations that happen there. But I guess it's really about what happens in between those presentations, the lunch that we have and breakfast and we have some social gatherings throughout the event and yes yeah, so those moments that we can really connect and um, find you know synergies between the attendees in the room Thank you to Matt Jones on this special episode of Property Launchpad. If you'd like to register your interest to this program, simply visit propertyinveststory.com forward slash launchpad. When you book in a call and place a $100 deposit, which is fully refundable when you register or sign up with Matt, he'll work with you to find out if this program is right for you. Once again, to register your interest, simply visit propertyinveststory.com forward slash launchpad. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.